Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It's Hour two of Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Faith Radio. Today is the National Day of Prayer. You can find resources um, for your own National Day of Prayer and find an event near you at nationaldayofprayer.org. As a part of the National Day of Prayer, we're going to be praying this morning for individuals and um well, really anything. I say individuals. Lots of you have offered names. Some of you have offered groups of people um, for whom you'd like us to be praying today. And so on this National Day of Prayer, if there is um, a person serving locally or um, or nationally or at the state level for whom you're praying in particular, and you want to send me their name on the text line, we're going to pray for them in just a moment. 877 I'm going to read you in on the National Day of Prayer. I'm actually going to use the um, State of Alaska Declaration or Proclamation just because it was just issued this morning, and I kind of like that. So um, the governor of Alaska has signed this State of Alaska version of the National Day of Prayer um, authorization, and here's how it goes. Whereas in 1952, a joint resolution by Congress declared an annual day of prayer. And in 1988, the law was amended to permanently set the day as the first Thursday in May each year. And whereas faith has played a significant role in American history and inspired the masses to seek unity through traditions like days of prayer and reflections, and whereas our population is composed of many different religious, spiritual, and cultural traditions and Many people are strengthened, assured, and lifted up through prayer. And whereas citizens of our nation are afforded the privilege of individual prayer, which affirms our spiritual heritage and the principles upon which our nation was founded, and whereas we offer prayers for our families, communities, state, and nation, and we ask that all citizens be given the wisdom, guidance, and opportunities to live enriching and fulfilling lives. In addition, we say a special prayer for all those serving in the military, as they have dedicated their lives to the service and protection of us all. And whereas we are grateful for the many blessings and freedoms in our lives, and through prayer and faith may seek to renew our commitment to being respectful and productive members of society, I now, therefore, um, Mike Dunleavy, governor of the state of Alaska, do hereby proclaim May the 4th, 2023, as National Day of Prayer in Alaska and encourage all Alaskans to respect and observe this day of prayer in a manner of their personal choosing to give thanks and to seek the continued safety and well-being of all citizens. So if you were going to write a um, declaration of the National Day of Prayer in your own community or your own state, you know, how might you lay it out? What, how might it be unique? The National Day of Prayer is um, uh, affirmed every year in a joint resolution of Congress and signed uh, by the president and has been happening for a long time now. 
And so I hope you're going to engage in it. I hope you will find others with whom to engage. And thank you for joining um, right now in our version right here on air. Father, thank you um, so very much, so very much for the privilege of religious freedom, for the privilege of right now (laughs) over global airwaves to be able to come before you with bowed heads and bended knees, hands lifted up, acknowledging that you are God and we are not. So we place it all in your hands. We set ourselves at your liberty. We ask that you would continue to pour out grace all sufficient. And we thank you in advance for your faithfulness. We ask, Father, that you would turn us individually and corporately toward you that you would send us a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit, that we might individually be renewed and a part of a renewal in our own churches and in our own communities and in the nations in which we live. I come before you alongside those who are praying for salvation, for heads of state. I come before you now with those who are praying for their pastors who are overwhelmed. I come before you now praying with those who have in view right now a particular Christian school in their own community and the positions that are currently needing to be filled. I come before you now with those who are asking that their employers would make wise decisions. For those praying for their state representatives and senators. For those praying right now for their governor, their mayor, their commissioners, members of their city councils, praying right now for members of law enforcement at every level and in every expression. Father, I come before you now praying with those um, who are praying for pregnancy service centers in their communities and those who are praying for every woman, man, family affected by abortion and pregnancy loss. Father, we're praying for one another. I'm praying alongside the one who said, I want to pray for every other person who's listening with me right now. This is my community. This is my fellowship. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord across every worldly dividing line. Father, strengthen us. I'm praying alongside the friend who said, I'm praying today for people who are praying for America around the world. Let us continue to be a light. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. Holy God, I'm praying for those who are asking prayers for themselves because they're hurting, they're isolated, or they're lonely. Holy God, make us kingdom people this day. Send us to seek those who are currently lost in the spirit of the living God, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for praying with me. Um, This morning on this National Day of Prayer, again, lots of really incredible resources at nationaldayofprayer.org. Glenn Durer is going to join us next. Um, There's a coronation taking place. Um, We're going to talk about King Jesus, even as we talk about the coronation of Charles III. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Glenn Durer is a citizen of three countries, but he's an ambassador of one kingdom. Born in the United Kingdom, moved to Canada as a teenager, then here to the United States to obtain his Ph.D. Uh, His teaching and research interests include nationalism and secession, comparative politics, international relation theory, sports and politics, Christianity and politics. And today he's here because he has the right accent to talk with us about the coronation of Charles III. Glenn, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to um, to to tell us um, your perspective on the coronation of King Charles, and then you know bring it into view for us as Christians. Absolutely. So this is a major occasion because it's the first coronation since 1953, and so for many people in the United Kingdom and around the world, this is the first time they will have witnessed such an event, and it's a big deal. This one will be lower key in large part because of COVID-19. And I think it's also the way that Charles III will want to make his mark on the monarchy. The 1953 coronation was a very lavish affair. And in many ways, it was a huge lift to the United Kingdom because even though the country was a winner in World War II, so many of the major cities, London included, had been decimated and rationing of simple items that we consider today, milk, butter, eggs, meat, things of that nature, was still rationed through the late 1950s. And so a lot of people in the UK were still going through real a real challenging time. And at that point in 1953, there was then the ascension to the throne of a young mother, um, exciting for the future of the monarchy, and they threw a very, very lavish coronation. And so this one is going to be, I think, a fair bit more subdued, and it's going to fit Charles's personality more, which is good and bad. Uh, the, the good part is it will be, it will recognize regular common people in the community, people that have volunteered very, very heavily in their lives, those that were on the front line of COVID-19, on the downside, it looks like there'll be far less Christian influence. Elizabeth II was a very strong woman of faith. In the UK context, it tends to be more private uh, a faith, but she had a close relationship with Billy Graham for many years. And certainly throughout her public addresses, in her coronation, in her funeral, many biblical references. And I think we'll see far fewer of those on Saturday, unfortunately. So there will be an Anglican liturgy, but it has been adapted. It will be in Westminster Abbey. Um, Correct. And and ultimately, I mean, one of the things that, Glenn, I, I want maybe for us to talk about is the the images that we as Christians can be watching for and that we can then talk about in our conversations with others. So when we come back, can we talk a little bit about, you know, what it means to take on a crown and what it means to wear a robe, and what it means to sit on a throne, like the what it means to ascend those steps and take that scepter. Can we talk about some of those things from a Christian worldview? Absolutely. Great, wonderful. We're talking with Glenn Durer. You can find him um, at Cedarville University, cedarville.edu, and we're talking about the coronation of King Charles III. What are you expecting? Will you be watching? Um, are you ignoring it altogether? Are you going to watch the run for the roses instead? 
You can let me know on the text line, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Glenn Durr, we're talking about the coronation of King Charles, scheduled for this Saturday, May the 6th. Um, It's going to start at 6 a.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. local time. Um, And ultimately then, I think it's going to compete with the Kentucky Derby at 9 a.m. Anyway, I think that people in America might not all be watching, but those who are watching are going to see um, a very dramatic and beautiful ceremony, although it is going to have lots of influences in terms of faith expressions. That's something to watch for. Glenn, I'm wondering um, what other things uh, we as Christians might be watching for that would lead us into conversations with others, you know, in interpreting the times in which we live. To start, in many ways, uh, Americans are very, very interested in the royal family. There are many, many Anglophiles, and uh, it's it's an interesting dynamic because we have in the United States, a very egalitarian society, one where no one's any better than anyone else. And uh, you know, I love it personally. I think it's it's beautiful of being under the Constitution. And in a monarchy, clearly very, very hierarchical and a different way of structuring government and leadership, etc., even though it's a constitutional monarchy and the monarch uh, plays a far less role in politics. But it's a good reminder for us as egalitarian Americans that Jesus has promised that he will return and uh, he will rule and reign and it will be his way. And that's something that's very useful for us to bear in mind. And we do get a representation of that when we see uh, a monarch ascend to a throne, a coronation, uh, and especially in the United Kingdom, under the Church of England, there are still many, many Christian reference points. You mentioned a number of them uh, in terms of a crown and a robe. There'll also be an anointment of oil. And it's also uh, very symbolic that the monarch is still submitting uh, to the Lord as well in that ceremony. That it's not just simply, hey, I'm an almighty uh, king, it's bearing in mind uh, in the ceremony that there is a greater king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though Charles's faith has uh, had its struggles over the years in many, many ways, and yeah, I'm not entirely sure how he's going to, to rule, uh, at the same time, in the ceremony, there is a symbolism where he, he does submit to the Lord, and that is something that we should all bear in mind. Glenn, um, when we're talking uh, as many of us as Americans, and you know this is a 
this is a king and a kingdom that we threw off, that we, uh, that we said we, uh, we don't want to be a part of that. Uh, we want to um, have a different kind of government. Um, are, there, are there some distinctions that you could give us in terms of talking points, particularly this weekend, as we're, you know, we're fascinated by, we're interested in, and many people will, you know, dress up and have watch parties and all kinds of things. Um, but this is actually a form of government we threw off. Yes, and it's certainly one that has also changed very dramatically as well. Uh, I think for the United Kingdom, with the American Revolution, it was a very, very good signal, and it led to an awful lot of reform. Uh, The British um, were very, very quick thereafter to get rid of uh, slavery as movement and then ending it in the British Empire in 1807 and 1833. We also have the Great Reform Act of 1832, where a lot more people were then allowed to vote. And with the United States, the United Kingdom and the United States became the two kind of great democratic countries of the world that then led others, provided an example to others to then uh, democratize, to allow much greater freedom uh, themselves. Uh, But certainly as major points of distinction, the United States has a presidential system with three branches of government broadly. In the United Kingdom, it's a parliamentary system, and it's got some nuances that are a little strange to the American ear. For example, there is an unwritten constitution. So there is a constitution. It's just composed of Uh, existing laws, but also judicial rulings, customs, conventions. And we will see some of those customs and conventions with the coronation. Um, Because they're customs, they have been in place. Uh, Westminster Abbey, for example, as the site of the coronation, has been the same place since 1066, since William the Conqueror uh, became the the king of England back then. Uh, And then the Westminster style parliamentary system is also different where for an American, it's best to think of it as fusing the executive and legislative branches. And so if we were to superimpose the British system on the United States, we would have Prime Minister Kevin McCarthy as our head of government in the United States, the most powerful person. And so it it comes, you know, I, I you know, many people are probably thinking they're in the in the audience. Uh, it's a concentration of powers. It can be more dangerous. It gives uh, more power to one person, uh, and all of that is is certainly true. On the other side, though, it can if if one person oversteps the boundaries, the next prime minister can then in, come in and change it pretty quickly as well. And it also means that there is a, a direct connection to the people. Uh, in Parliament as well, but two different systems, but also two long-standing democracies that have uh, maintained strong constitutional rights throughout time. Um, Glenn, um, there will be people who are protesting this, and there are those um, who want this coronation to be the last. Can you can you just speak to um, maybe the temperature of things um, for King Charles? Yes. Uh, Compared to his mother, he's far less popular. I think a lot of people want to move very quickly to William V. But there's, like in the United States in the 1770s and in in many countries around the world, there's 
uh, a desire to form a Republican form of government. Um, Charles has been certainly more opinionated than most monarchs should be. Uh, the Queen was Queen Elizabeth II was very, very good at uh, simply uh, taking advice, listening, and then presenting uh, useful information rather than being overly public about her views. And so Charles has, in and of himself, kind of annoyed a lot of people. Plus, uh, there's typically no taxes that are paid. There are some public funds that go to royal events. And the royals have uh, significant sums of money and properties and things of that nature. And so uh, for a lot of people that look at it through an egalitarian lens, there's, they're, they're typically quite upset about it. There's also a broader connection, that is that King Charles will be the head of state in 16 countries around the world, including the United Kingdom. And there are several of them that are very prominent that are having major discussions on whether or not to leave. Barbados did in 2021, but certainly Jamaica, Australia, New Zealand, Canada will all probably engage in this conversation fairly, fairly soon. And then Charles is technically also the head of the Commonwealth of Nations, 56 countries around the world that used to be connected to the British Empire and a part of a wider Commonwealth. That may well continue. That remains pretty popular. Uh, but I, I'd say overall, uh, even though Charles III is less liked than Queen Elizabeth II, in all likelihood, the monarchy will continue. A lot of people remain fascinated by it. In general, the polls still suggest the majority want to keep it in the United Kingdom, but there are all kinds of issues on the horizon, whether or not Scotland makes another move at independence. What happens in Northern Ireland is, is a big question. And then, as I mentioned, simply those that want a republic, those that want far less uh, government funds going to the monarchy. These are major issues for King Charles III to navigate in the uh, years ahead, whether it's a decade or two decades, he's he'll turn 75 this year, so he won't be the monarch for uh, a massive amount of time. But it could still be 20 years. It's it's mm -hmm. one of those things that's hard to predict. Certainly. Glenn, as always, thank you so much for bringing um, your very unique perspective to this conversation. We look forward to talking with you again. My privilege. Thank you for having me and enjoy the National Day of Prayer and lifting the Lord Jesus's name high. Amen. Amen. That's Glenn Durer. You can find him at Cedarville University, cedarville.edu. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. Hey, joining us uh, in just a moment, John Bloom from Desiring God. Um, true to his word is the conversation that we're going to have. So I want you to consider this question um, particularly if you're struggling to believe that God is truly faithful. Is God true to his word? All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. That's Psalm 2510. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. What influence does the faithfulness of God, the reality that God is faithful, what influence does that have in our lives? And what are the stories we could be telling ourselves to um, equip us to really live as faithful people in relationship to a faithful God? 
That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. John Bloom is joining us today. He serves as co-founder and teacher at Desiring God. You can find him at desiringgod.org, or, you know, you can also find him in the Twin Cities. John, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So um, we've invited you to talk with us today. I mean, you have lots of things that we could be talking about today, and I, I, I love that about you, that you're... Um, this this rich reservoir of of conversational options, but we're going to talk today about your new book, True to His Word: One Hundred Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. And if you're listening right now, um, this is um, this is a book that we do have copies of to give away. I'm excited about that. So as you're listening, if you say to yourself, "Wow, I that is something that I really need, and I'd like to have a copy of," you know how to enter the drawing. Um, Text the word book to 877-933-2484. So, John, let's lead off with this. Um, you actually opened the book this way. And so, you know, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. Are there really that many distinct, fresh, soul-nourishing things to say about this one divine attribute? <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> when um, Moody Publishers asked me to write the book um and i heard that they wanted 100 different meditations i just thought well wow (laughs) i wonder if i'm gonna be able to come up with that but the more i looked into it the more i realized you know there 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 may be only a few ways to like explain what what faithfulness is so if so if i was going to be writing you know a book on what is what does faithfulness mean from the Bible? Well, that would not take a hundred. That would take one, uh, one meditation to explain it because it's a pretty simple complex or concept. You know, I say it in four words, um, true to his word. Mm. And so people really understand what that means, but their life is so complex and so full of challenges that our ability to perceive what does God's faithfulness mean in any particular situation to be extraordinarily difficult, especially during times of suffering or bereavement or uh, all the kinds of complexities that that befall us in this fallen world. And so really there are just endless ways to be able to identify what it happens to look like. And the Bible gives us lots and lots and lots of examples of what it looks like, which is what we really need uh, to know when we're struggling. Yeah, I appreciate that um, you do more show than tell. Like, you devote the first chapter, as you've said, to explaining what it means for God to be faithful. But the remainder showing us. Tell us about the power of illustration when we're talking not just about God's faithfulness, but pretty much about anything. Well, the, that's the, that's really what we need the most. Um you know, it, it when we're struggling to figure out now what is what is God doing right now? Is God actually keeping His promise? You know, d- mm. he, God says He's. You know, the Bible says God is faithful. God is faithful. Um, but when we are faced with situations that are are beyond our comprehension, 
and there are a lot of them. Um, we what we need is not explanations. We we don't even need often just reminders. You know, well, you know, just 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 remember, God is faithful. What we need are examples. <laughs> we need illustrations. We need we need to know. Okay, what does that mean? What does it look like? What does it look like when tragedy befalls? What does it look like when um, events take these these strange turns? And it does not appear in in a moment that God may be actually being faithful to a promise. It looks like He might be breaking it. And so, what we often need are illustrations, which is what I tried to do in this little book. Yeah, we're talking with John Bloom. We're talking about his book, True to His Word, A Hundred Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. We are giving away copies today. If you'd like to enter the drawing for the copies we have on hand, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. John, I think we'll take our break a little bit early. We're going to see if we can reconnect with you um, and improve the quality of our audio connection because I don't want people to miss a word of what you're saying. So we are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We're going to be back in just a moment with John Bloom from Desiring God. The book is True to His Word. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, Well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. We're continuing our conversation with John Bloom. You can find him at desiringgod.org. We're talking with him today about his new book, True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. And yes, we do have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. John, um, I'd love to give people a taste um, of the meditations. They're relatively brief. I'm wondering, I mean, I... I love them all. I'm wondering um, if maybe you would um, read one to us today. Maybe, I mean, maybe just read the the second one, which is really the first one in terms of illustrations. Um, begin with what you've been given. God is faithful to teach you faithfulness. You just want me to read the, the meditation itself? I do. Okay. Well, the text is Psalm 37.3 which reads, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and and befriend faithfulness. The theme here is God is faithful to teach you faithfulness. A faithful person honors, cherishes, maintains, and guards the faith of those who put their trust in him by keeping his promises to them. God's always like this. You and I, on the other hand, well, let's just say this proverb was written about people like us. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Proverbs 20, verse 6. If we're honest, we'll admit that this 
proverbial shoe has fit at times. If we're rigorously honest, we'll admit that the shoe fits more often than we care to admit. The truth hurts. But God knows us. And when he wounds his children with the truth, his purpose is to heal us and to set us free. Our Father is faithful to keep his promise to conform us to the image of Jesus, Romans 8, 29, who is the faithful witness. And he does this not by downloading faithfulness into us like a software upgrade, but by training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, Titus 2.12. Like all training, growing in faithfulness is an arduous process. God teaches us to build our capacity for faithfulness much like we build our capacities for anything, by exercising what we want to grow. We all like the idea of a stronger and slimmer body or becoming proficient in a skill or building more effective habits for more sustained productivity. But no transformation happens without starting the painful work of exercising what's weak and staying with it until it grows stronger. And the same thing is true of faithfulness. We all like the idea of being true to the love we've proclaimed, the commitments that we've made, the responsibilities God has entrusted to us, but unfaithfulness, but if unfaithfulness has become a sinful habit in a certain area because selfishness has taken root and we lack the fortitude to swear to our own hurt and not change, no transformation will occur without the hard, painful work of exercising faithfulness. The good news is that God has provided us everything we need to start exercising today. We begin with what we've been given. Our training regimen is structured around Psalm 37.3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Today's exercises in befriending faithfulness are to do whatever it takes for us to trust in, in the Lord for the grace to diligently do good to the people and through the responsibilities he's entrusted to us in the place that we find ourselves with the resources that he's provided. And to do our work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. God is faithful to teach us faithfulness so that we increasingly, like him, honor, cherish, maintain and guard the faith of those who put their trust in us by being truer to our word. And he will teach us here in the land where he's placed us. And if we befriend faithfulness here, someday our master will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew 25:23. And each meditation each day includes a prayer and on this particular day we pray Father thank you for being faithful to teach me faithfulness today whatever it takes help me trust you fully and do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith where you have placed me and with the resources you provide in Jesus name Amen. Again, we're talking with John Bloom. The book is 
true to his word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. We are giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. John, thank you, first of all. Thank you not only for reading it, but for reading it um, at a pace that we could genuinely hear it. I think there are times that we... um, we're rushing through. These are not um, these are not exercises to be rushed through, and so thank you for that. You ask a number of provocative questions in the midst of these hundred meditations. Will I believe God? What do What do you want? Do you know what hunts you? Are you investing your weaknesses well? In His light, do you see light? How can we be angry and not sin? What's I, I just want to ask you like. First of all, these are all really good provocative questions. I know that it's the book is not framed around questions, but I like questions as a person who asks a lot of them. So can you just talk with us in your own experience? Like, what's the power of a good question in terms of leading us in conversation to stories and to open up the hearts and minds of those that we're spending time with? What's the power of a good question? Um. It's usually a question that is the, that opens the door to understanding. I mean, if we if we are not if we are not asking ourselves questions when we are, for instance, when we're reading scripture, um, if we are passive readers, we're just reading. It's, we're just sort of trying to take in information. We're not asking any questions. Our insight isn't going to deepen. I mean, we just we will basically we will just keep. Um, assuming the same assumptions that we've been assuming for years. We, we, you just don't, you don't grow. It's, it's when you ask questions of a text or ask questions of a person, that's, that's where understanding grows. And so there, the questions are enormously important, enormously important if we're going to grow in understanding. And one of the reasons I think the Bible, you know, doesn't provide lots of clear, concrete answers to, you know, specific complex questions is because God has designed us to ask questions. What does this mean? Mm. And when you read the Psalms, you hear lots of people, lots of psalmists asking lots of questions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or um, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's Psalm 10. So, you know, like they, the saints in Scripture asked questions, asked questions, and we see that insight and understand, understanding comes through them. Is that helpful? It's very helpful. And I think that, you know, as we're considering the conversations that we're going to have um, with other people today, and, and certainly as we consider our own approach to the Scriptures, um, if I'm approaching with curiosity, with the expectation that um, I am going to gain insight, that God is going to reveal himself, um, that God is going to do something and may well ask me to do something, like that changes it from a Bible study into something else. And uh, I won't, you know, necess- <laughs> I won't put a name to what it is, but it's something else. It's, a, it's an encounter with the Word of God um, God's going to be true to his word, 
And so I think that am I going to approach it as a person, not just seeking truth in terms of information, but seeking to become a person of truth because truth is a person. That's right. That's right. Wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that you can't do this in a minute, but I'm going to ask you to anyway. What does it mean to desire God? It means, uh, first thing comes to my mind is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So um, what we hear in Psalm 63, the psalmist is, is uh, you, you know, it panting after God as 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 as, it, as he says in in Psalm forty two and forty three. There you know, it's it is a deep longing. You know de- here's another way to think about what desire is. Jesus says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So desire is is what you long for. It's what you, it's what you treasure. It's what you most deeply want. And so to desire God um, is, is both to have and then to cultivate a, a longing for him, which is really a treasuring of him. And one of the reasons why we go through struggles, like in the areas of, of trying to figure out his faithfulness, is because it is through struggle, it is through trial, it is through difficulty that often it, it leads us to barren places that, that helps us reveal our thirst. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the, I mean, if you, want to, if you want to desire God, one of the best things to do is to say, God, do what you need do whatever you need to do to help me to desire you. Mm. And I have found he has been faithful to answer that prayer. And it usually comes through things that we wouldn't necessarily desire events. We wouldn't necessarily desire, but it creates hunger and thirst and longing and panting and pressing into, and you know, water doesn't taste refreshing until you're thirsty. And so if you want to know the value of water, you need to know what thirst is like. Mm-hmm. When you know what thirst is like, you know what desire is. So one of the reasons that I ask you that question is because, you know, you're hiding, highlighting um, Psalm 37.3 um, in, in that conversation that we had earlier. And it's, th- it's Psalm 37.4 that's so often quoted out of mm-hmm. context, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. But... It's like, mm-hmm. so we have to know what it means to desire God if we're going to actually have an expectation that he's going to be faithful to be true to his word in something like, he's going to give me the desires of my heart. Well, only if you rightly understand what that means. So, yeah. um, so thank you. Thank you for the conversation today. Thank you for what you're doing every day at Desiring God. People can check that out at desiringgod.org. John Bloom's new book, True to His Word, 100 Meditations on the Faithfulness of God. 
You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thank you so much for engaging today in the National Day of Prayer. You can find great resources for your engagement and events near you at nationaldayofprayer.org. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.